Hi again, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast, where today we're closing off this overview of chapter 48, looking at the closing verses, and we've been looking at this blessing of Jacob, uh, blessing Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and looking what it means in terms of living a life of faith. And it's the second of two studies in this chapter in our continuing journey through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you're here for the first time, then why not make the commitment with us to work through the entire Bible over these next five or or so, how many years it might take. A quick reminder, if you are here for the first time, there's always a links in the episode notes page where you can access things like a full transcript of everything I've said and also other ways you can connect with the ministry. But I'll come back at the end and tell you more about that. But for now, let's drop back into the main text and pick up where we left off last time. Okay, we're continuing reading from the main text, which is Genesis chapter 48, and we're going to pick up the narrative, pick up the story in verses 17 to 21, where it tells us, When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, and I know he too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. So this is the blessing that the youngest again would be greater than the older. And in fact, we'll see this blessing, how it comes true in the book of Judges. The tribes of Ephraim and Nesset will be increased in the way that's said, but also they will increase greatly in contrast to the other tribes like Reuben, who's mentioned, who has seemed to decrease during that same period. And God here initiates the fact that he, Jacob, blesses the younger before the older. And, you know, that's a pattern, isn't it? That seems to be the way God has worked several times through this family through this beginnings of the nation of Israel as described for us in the, the, the book of Genesis. Now, when I, we introduced the, the start of this chapter and this part of the story, I started out by saying that this is an illustration for us of walking by faith. And that the reason I said that was confidence is the New Testament itself tells us this whole story is an illustration of walking by faith. Now, maybe it's viewed that way because the story particularly highlights the fact that God, at the beginning, God appeared to him and said, I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to give them the land. And then throughout the story, the continuing story of Jacob and how it's played out in his family, we see Jacob simply acting accordingly to what that promise is. In other words, he's living his life as an expectation and an expression of that truth that he just seems to have accepted. I mean, part of the story is the fact that Jacob simply believed what God said. 
then in the second part of this story in this chapter, we see him bless the younger more than the older. And that's a very clear indication to me is that he understood the way God worked. God does not always do what's expected. He does not always do what is natural. He also does not always do what is according to the custom of the day. God often chooses to bless the most unlikely and he usually chooses to bless those he blesses because they are the ones who are who or who will trust in him. So this un- indicates to me that Jacob understood not only God's word, the words that God spoke to him, but he had grown in his life to a point where he understood God's ways. Now if we're honest, we think we understand how God works, and but often we don't expect him to work in the ways that he does work. God very often fools us and works in ways that are contrary to what we thought or what we think or what we expected. And I believe that a big part of walking by faith is yes about us understanding God's word, but that needs to feed through into us understanding God's ways. It seems to me that today a great many Christians don't really know the Lord. Don't get me wrong on what I'm saying here. Don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that they don't trust the Lord or that they don't love the Lord. I just mean they don't understand the way God works. Often God doesn't work the way many people expect him to work. And he will not get boxed in by our limited expectations. He will not necessarily follow the customs of the day. And on this occasion, we see that God says, no, again, he's turning over the expected order. We're going to bless the younger, the unlikely one. And that's what he did in this passage. And that's what he's done, in fact, throughout this whole story. There is a third part to this this message as contained in this chapter. And it's in just the last few verses of the chapter. And it says in verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. So in the first part of the passage in this chapter, he seemed to adopt his grandchildren. The second part is he blesses those grandchildren, only he blesses the younger with the greater blessing than the older, which was backwards from what you would normally expect him to have done. And then in the third part of the passage, he seemed to bless Joseph by giving him a piece of property in the land of his forefathers. But again, that's an act of faith, because Jacob is assuming that God is going to fulfill the promise that he gave his descendants of this land, and that Joseph would be back in that land someday. So again, he's acting in faith because Jacob, of course, at that moment is not in that place. By the way, as I read this and prepared this, something struck me that I hadn't really noticed before. I noticed he's doing what we would today call making a will. He's setting his house in order. He's determining who gets what. And he says, hey, there's this piece of property, a property that that was given to me, but I had to but I think it, it's telling us that he had to retake it by force at some point using the sword and the bow. But that's now going to be passed over to his son Joseph. It does say elsewhere in the Bible that he originally bought it. So most Bible experts speculate that he ended up having to refight for it again and take it back. 
But that's by the way. The main point is, and a, a new thing I pulled out of it, maybe because I'm in a situation where I have s several friends who are in the final season of their life, that he was saying, look, there comes a point where we need to make a will, put our house in order, and in this case, he's settling things, giving his property to, to his children, and in this case, there's this extra piece of land promised, of course, by God to Israel, and he's giving that to Joseph. But anyway, I just thought that it was interesting. In one hand, this illustrates that he's believing God. He's believing that God's going to give him the descendants, the land. And in the second place, he's practically outworking that by leaving a portion of it to Joseph in advance, which is an indication that he's doing some estate planning and saying, this is going to come to pass. So here you are, Joseph. So he gives Joseph a portion of the land but it's important that he's giving it over and above the others and the shared equal distribution of the rest of the land. So he's giving Joseph, in fact, a double blessing. By the way, the New Testament makes a note of this in John chapter 4, where it confirms that Jesus went through Samaria. Well, I'll read it for you. It says this. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So the New Testament here recognises that this is what happened. Alright, there's been a couple of interesting twists and turns in this thing, and this passage can seem a little complicated, but I'd just like to sum it up and make a final observation or two. I think this chapter teaches very simply that by faith Jacob adopts his two grandchildren. He blesses them and he gives the youngest of the two a double portion of that blessing and on top of that he promises Joseph a special portion of the land and all of these decisions are made in faith. By faith he adopts the grandchildren, by faith he blesses them and by giving Joseph a special portion of the land of their forefathers whilst they were still in Egypt before they were even back in the land he is then of course by faith assuming that this is going to happen in the future and by faith he gives it to them right then and there. That's what's going on in this chapter. So what's the point of that? What is it trying to teach us? What can we learn from it? Well, there are some very clear sort of factual things, some loose ends tied up for us, of course. One of the main things is to explain to us the makeup of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that will turn out to be very important. There are, as we know, 12 tribes of Israel. A lot of people know that already. And they often think, well, Jacob had 12 sons, right? That's not a quick question. How many sons did he have? 12. But we now discover that when we start listing the tribes, one of the tribes is Ephraim and one of the tribes is Manasseh. So these two grandchildren have got elevated and one of the other tribes will get slighted. And also Joseph, we will discover, will not become head of one of the tribes. He gets dropped out. And these two children of his get put in his place. So this chapter ultimately explains that the 12 tribes, where they come from, how they're made up, and that has its historical importance, its spiritual importance as well. The issue is this. Ephraim and Mesa have now the same standing as the other sons of Jacob. They're not just grandsons anymore. They've become equal on par with the other sons of Jacob. 
So Jacob's life is a real illustration of what it means to live by faith. Now I've pointed out as we've gone through the passage how this is so, but let me just close by summarising why this is so and why it's important. Number one, Jacob believed God. God appeared to him and God gave him his word and his word said he was going to bless him and he believed what God said. And we should do the same. The whole chapter is an illustration of someone acting upon what God said. Number two, importantly, he not just understood what God said, he understood God's ways. He understood what it might mean and how God acted in his life. Living by faith is understanding not just God's word, but God's ways. And I think for a great many people, that's where they trip up. There are a lot of ramifications to this, because I think many, many Christians I've met start out thinking, I believe God's word, I believe God's going to bless me, and then that also leads them to jump to the conclusion that they're not going to have trouble like other people. And then they encounter trials, severe trials sometimes, and they get thrown off course. And that's because they may, at a superficial level, have read and believed they understood God's word, but they don't necessarily understood God's way of working. And one of the ways that God works is he uses trials in our lives to bring about spiritual maturity. I've talked about this a lot. I talk about it all the time, but only because in my role as a preacher, Bible teacher, an expository preacher, Bible teacher, I am constantly explaining the Bible, which means all over the place, I will run up against this teaching. You can't avoid it when you read your Bible. And if you as a Christian believer don't understand this, then you don't really understand the ways of God. And if you don't understand the ways of God, then you might just start doubting God's word when things don't appear to be going your way. I get asked all the time, why would God let this happen to me? People can sometimes begin to doubt God and his words, and it is because they don't understand the way God works. God will work through trials, and he sometimes even allows trials to come along to people to give us the opportunity to respond to them properly, which then means we grow spiritually, we reach spiritual maturity, which not only benefits us, it benefits those who are around us. Many people believe the Bible is God's word, but truly living in faith, walking in faith, means not only understanding what it says, but understanding God's way of working and living in the light of that accordingly. The third thing that it illustrates is that he trusted God to carry out his promise and he did so practically by giving Joseph a special portion of the land. And he also, of course, by faith, blessed his two grandchildren, even elevating them to full inheritance, full sonship, as it was called. He believed, he knew God would fulfill all this later. And that's why the New Testament picks this up as one of the great illustrations of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says, and I quote, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of the staff. So the writer to the Hebrews confirms 
that by doing this it was a great illustration of someone living in faith. When he was dying he blessed the sons of Joseph and by faith he believed that God would fulfil his promises through them. One commentator I read uh, speaking in this passage says, Believers can mature in faith through a lifetime and experience in which the covenant God has been seen to deliver them, meaning deliver them from trials and hardship. I paraphrase. No matter how difficult the maturing process might be for us, may have been in our life, the purpose and the plan of God for the future will always play played out in the light of the Christian believer, no matter what we have to face. Jacob recognised that God used trouble to bring him to a place of mature faith. And that understanding of the way God can work is not just an understanding of the word of God, but understanding of the ways of God was a key for Jacob and his faith. Now this does not mean that as believers we will have the ability to predict the future. It merely means that mature Christian believers will become so familiar with God's ways, the way God works, that we can reach a point where we can begin to plan, where we can begin to prepare, where we can begin to live our lives, live in faith and do things with certain future expectations of how things will work out. Because we have come to intimately know God, which means intimately knowing his ways. Ultimately, in the fullness of time and the full knowledge of this and the outworking of our lives, we ultimately know that, of course, there will be rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. We all will live this life and will die unless the Lord returns first. And understanding that one of the aspects of the way God works means that later we will stand before him and the ultimate blessing is he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, which just means that we live this life and we acted out according to his will. We, like Jacob, lived in faith. It's about understanding God's ways and allowing that to affect the way we live and handle this present life. So walking by faith is more than just understanding God's word. It's understanding the way God works in the world because his world has revealed it to us. And part of that is understanding that God will often reverse the order of things in our life to bless us the most. And he'll probably do that when we least expect it. As a Christian, it's not about God being a never-ending perpetual encouragement to us. God does not just sit alongside us and crown the successes that we have. God, it tells us in scripture, chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the, the weak things of this world to amaze the powerful. The things or the people which are often the most despised, God will frequently choose. And he'll choose them to bring about and to demonstrate his will. God sometimes literally turns things upside down in our lives. And very often that means blessing the weak blessing us when we feel the weakest, blessing us when the world considers us to be foolish, blessing those who are considering nothing more or unimportant. But God uses those very same people to change the world. Another prophet in the Old Testament put it this way, his thoughts, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. 
And living a life of faith, I believe, says it's God saying to us, I want you to understand my word, yes, but through it, I need you to understand my ways so that you can live accordingly. It's not by might, it's not my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. So we need to walk by faith, understanding not just what God says, but how God works and what God's ways are. He works by his spirit. He will work in us when we are weak, but he will always work in us when we simply trust in him. That's the way the story vividly communicates to us that he doesn't always work the way we think or we might want him to work. So maybe it is us who need to change. Maybe it is us who need to change the way we think so that we might become more in line with the way that God thinks. Okay, friends, there we go. That's it for today. I hope you find that helpful. If you do find these teachings helpful, then please consider liking them, sharing them, putting links to them, even reviewing them, uh, but placing perhaps links or recommendations on whatever areas of the internet that you, you live in, you know, your social media, places like that, because that enables this teaching, in other words, the teaching of the Word of God, to, to be seen by more people and give them the freedom of choice to make a decision to make the study of the Word of God, not just the reading of the Word of God, the study of the Word of God, part of the rhythm of their daily lives also. And through that, many people will be blessed. And some might even come to have a new and radical understanding of their own relationship, not only with God, not only with God's Word, but actually come to know him as a saviour also. So consider doing that if you would. A quick reminder that there are also links to ways in which you can connect with this ministry, some other teaching that I've done, some longer form teaching, some discipleship training that I'm offering uh, very soon. The ways to connect to that will always be through the links in the episode notes page of any audio version of this podcast. But other than that, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for being part of this journey. It's such an encouragement to me to know that there are thousands of you out there who've made the decision to work through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to make it part of the the rhythm of your daily life. And with that in mind, I do hope I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Well, it's tomorrow for me. Whatever day it is for you and whenever it is for you, the point at which you sit down again together as we work through the entire Bible. So it's bye for now from the Bible Project Daily Podcast. I'll see you soon.